Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Good to see you. Hey, uh, happy uh, uh, Memorial Day. We want to celebrate this weekend uh, what God has done in our nation, especially the lives of those people that have paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And, and this is the, the weekend we kind of set that aside to remember that. And one of the things we often like to do is just honor those of you who have served in our armed uh, forces. Uh, and and uh, maybe it's uh, you've done that personally. Maybe it's someone, you have a, a close uh, relative, son or daughter, uh, a, a brother or sister who's currently in the armed service. Maybe you've even lost someone in the line of duty. But, but if you are here and, and that's your story, uh, part of your story, uh, would you stand so we can honor you today? We just want to say thank you to you for what you've done. We, uh, we want to pray for our nation in just a minute, but before we do that, we, uh, we're going to be going into our time of teaching soon, and uh, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at the Church Rocky Peak, and if you're brand new, we want to welcome you, and inside of your program is a message note sheet that we're going to be used during this time of teaching. You'll definitely want to take that out because it'll help you follow along, uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going we're to jump in. We're going to pray for our nation on this weekend. We're going to pray for us as we go into our study today, so are you all ready to go? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this nation, first of all. God, we are just so thankful and blessed to call this nation our own, that we're here and part of it. And God, we're so thankful for the way you've blessed this nation over last, uh, over 200 years. And God, as we, we come together as your church today, we want to lift up our nation. And we want to pray, first of all, uh, for a spirit of repentance. God, we realize that as a nation, we are far from you. And we don't know how much longer that blessing can rest on our nation as we live in such disobedience. And so God, as a church, we just confess uh, the sin of our nation and we ask that you would forgive us. We ask you to be merciful. We ask for a mighty move of your spirit on our nation, that you'd raise up uh, leaders for your church, that you would, you'd raise up passionate leaders to lead well. We pray that the church of Jesus Christ would raise up and they would bring the news of this one who has come to live and die to change us from the inside out. And through that, there would be a mighty move, a renewal on our nation, that there would be a righteousness that returns, a true humility that you could bless, and that we could continue to live under your blessing. And so we pray for our nation today. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president. Uh, we pray for uh, those who are in our armed forces right out there right now, uh, defending us on the wall, uh, watching over us and we pray especially for those uh, who are serving in Afghanistan or Iraq or other hot spots where their lives are actually in danger, even at this moment. We pray for their safety, God. And so we pray for an end of this conflict that we're in. We pray for peace. Uh, we pray that the name of our country would be uh, just associated with goodwill around this world for the things that we have claimed to stand for for so long. We pray that, that would be true of us. And then, God, we pray for us as your church today here, the church at Rocky Peak, as we gather in your name, gathering under the authority of your leadership as the true king of the universe, acknowledging that, proclaiming that. Uh, we come together around your word. We come to learn what does it look like to be a true follower and to be transformed, to be like you. And as we talk today about this important topic of wisdom, what it looks like to be a truly wise person, to live out a life of wisdom, uh, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see and that you would transform us as a church as we, we pursue you together. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our story starts today. It's, it's about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And the story opens up in ancient Greece. 
It's a major seaport city. In fact, one of the most important seaports in the ancient world, the place where East met West. It was a, a famous town, famous city for its immorality. In fact, in many ways, it was sort of like the Amsterdam of its day. And yet, on the, the, on the other hand, it was also famous for its wisdom and its pursuit. I mean, it was in Greece. This was the homeland uh, uh, that had produced uh, Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. And so, had a long history of seeking after wisdom. And, and so, it's into this very famous city that just about two or three years ago, uh, the movement of Jesus had come. Because at this point in time, the movement of Jesus is beginning to spread out and through the Roman Empire and pockets of Christ's followers, uh, outposts of the kingdom are are going up throughout the empire. And and it's just about two or three years ago that the Apostle Paul first came to this famous seaport town, this city, and he shared the message of Jesus, the message of this one who had came uh, to live and die for us. And of course, it seemed crazy talk. It seemed like absolute foolishness that a crucified Jew would somehow be the savior of the world, but, but God does what God always does when the gospel goes forth. And God supernaturally moved and people came to Christ. Their lives were changed. They were transformed from the inside out. It was going so well that God spoke to the apostle Paul in a vision one night and told them that he had many people in this city. And so he wanted him to stay here longer than usual. And so he actually stayed 18 months, which is much longer than he would normally stay But the church of Jesus came into being and people came to Christ. The Holy Spirit moved in very supernatural ways during those 18 months. But finally came the time for him to leave. And so he left his church behind and went on to other things. And so now we're two or three years later. The Apostle Paul is now across the sea, across the Aegean Sea. He's uh, over in Asia now in 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 the city of Ephesus. And one day he gets a knock on the door and a messenger has come with a letter from this church that he had started a few years before. Then they had all kinds of questions about what does it mean to live for Jesus in the midst of a totally pagan culture. But as he sat down with his messenger and asked him, how are things going? Give me the news. He began to hear a distressing tale about a church that was being torn apart by division and factions. And the crazy thing, they were doing it in the pursuit of wisdom. And what was happening is that where there was some of, the, some of the church was following certain leaders, others of the church, different leaders, they felt had better theology. And so in the pursuit of wisdom, they were actually fracturing and destroying the church of Jesus in this city. And so Paul is extremely distressed because he realizes that though they claim to be wise and they're doing this in the name of wisdom, the reality is, is they're only revealing their, their complete immaturity and, and foolishness, and, and that if something doesn't happen soon, the church of Jesus in this city where he spent a year and a half of his life is about to implode. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in for about the last three months, and for those of you who are brand new, I want to welcome you. Every week, God's bringing new people here. I always like to stop at the top and just take a minute or two and bring you up to speed, so you're with us. Uh, the name of the series is on the walls. You can see it's just do it. Uh, it's a series in the book of James. James was one of the key leaders in the early movement of Jesus. He was actually the half-brother of Jesus. They grew up together. He didn't believe in Jesus during uh, his life in ministry. Uh, but after the resurrection, Jesus met with him personally. He realized that everything that Jesus had claimed about himself was true. And it led to this radical redefinition in their relationship. And, and so Jesus became not only his brother, but his Lord 
and he became a passionate Christ follower. And from that point on, he became one of the key leaders in the movement of Jesus. And so this letter that he's writing, he's writing to some fellow Jewish Christ followers when the movement of Jesus is very young, about 10 to 15 years old after the resurrection, 10 to 15 years since the resurrection. In fact, scholars would tell us that it's probably the earliest document in our New Testament. So if you were to take all the 27 books of our New Testament, put them in chronological order, James would come number one. It'd be the first window into the movement of Jesus. And so what we've learned in this series is that it's an extremely practical book. Every week, uh, James is such a bottom line sort of guy. He brings up another topic. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And he's so practical, that's why we call it just do it. He's not really concerned about how you do it. Just get it done. This is the way it's supposed to be. And so the topic today on the table is the topic of wisdom and what does it mean to be a truly wise person. Now, let me ask you today, how many of you want to be a wise person? Can I see your, your hands? Okay, this is really sort of a no-brainer, right? Like, there might be a couple of you out there like, no, no, my goal in life is to be a fool. And... Uh, <laughs> I am on target. I am right there. Like my family and friends tell me I have, man, I have picked the right goal because I'm hitting it 100% of the time. So I mean, I think all of us want to be wise. Like who wants to be a fool? Like we want to do life the right way. And especially as Christ followers, we we want to live the Jesus way. I mean, when my kids were growing up, uh, uh, one of the things I would just pray over them all the time is God would just give them life wisdom. Because I've known too many believers that love Jesus but just aren't very smart the way life works. Right, And so, so their life is always a disaster. They love Jesus, they're going to heaven, but their life is a disaster. And so that's not what we want to be, right? We, we want to be a church of, of wise Christ followers. Who are, what does it really mean to, to follow Jesus and live the life that he's designed? And so that's the topic on the table today. And what James is going to say in a nutshell is that wisdom is more than intelligence. Uh, wisdom is more than knowledge. It's more than expertise. It's more than theology. It's more than knowing our Bible. That, that true wisdom, it's, it's kind of all those things, but it's more than that. That truly, the mark of a truly wise person is they're a person of what he's going to find, a person of character. That they're a person of the right motives, and they're a person probably most of all that does relationships well. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 3, and we're going to be in verse 13 through the end of the chapter. And there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Real Wisdom, What's It Look Like? And so we're going to jump in and, and pick it up at verse 18. So in verse 18, uh, or verse 13 rather, uh, James says, who is wise and understanding among you? And so, so that's the question of the day. Uh, okay, church, like who is wise and understanding among you? Like, like if, how, how could I pick you out? Like, like how do I know the wise people in this congregation from the non-wise people? Let's put it that way. Um, and so like, how, how could you figure out? What, what's it look like to be wise? How do you know if you're a wise person in your own life? How do you measure that? That's the question. Now, before we go into his answer, let me, let me set it up. It seems like what's happening in this church, in these churches that James is writing to, is that there are some who are aspiring to spiritual leadership. They want to be teachers of the church. And yet James has some concerns that they're not really ready. They don't really understand what true wisdom looks like. They're not really ready for this role. And so if you remember back in verse 1 from last week, remember we talked about the power of words, and this is how that passage started, 3.1. It says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, brothers, because you know that we who teach who will be judged more strictly. 
So in other words, when you step into a teaching leadership role, there's a higher judgment that you come under, that God will hold you accountable. After all, you're teaching the truth. You're telling people this is how to live. You obviously know it. Then he's going to hold you accountable for that. And so he says, hey, be slow to jump in that role. Like, don't, don't jump in before your time because, because you're going to be held to a higher standard. And so it seems like there's these people in the church who, who want to step into this teaching role, but he's not really sure they're ready. And so today he's going to kind of he's going to spell out, well, what does true wisdom look like? What does it look like to be a wise person, though someone who would step into that kind of role? And so he's, he, he's going to answer, and, and he's going to begin to talk, first of all, about character. And he says, so well, let him, uh, so who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, uh, by deeds done in the what? Let's say it again. Deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And so the first thing that, that he's going to be teaching us today is that wisdom is more than words. That, that wisdom has to do with your life and especially the, the, the character qualities of Jesus. Are you becoming like Jesus? And the really first one he, he camps on is humility. Now, we'll come back to this later, but let me just kind of define humility real, real fast. We've talked about this before, not that long ago. But remember, humility is not looking down on yourself or putting yourself down. Humility is not like pretending to be bad at something when you're really good at it. We often think that. That's really false humility. The humility is about having an accurate view of ourselves with both our strengths, our weaknesses, and our limitations. Uh, humility also is not so much about thinking less of myself. It's thinking about myself less. So one of the marks of a, a truly humble person is they're not self-absorbed. They're really kind of taken up. Emotional attention is on other people, all right? And, and I think a third thing to say about humility is the mark of a, a humble person is that they realize for all their successes and gifts in life that are very real, they realize that all those gifts and successes ultimately are coming from God. And so it leads back to praise and not to pride, okay? So, so here's how he starts off. He says, the mark of a truly uh, a wise person, it has to do with your kind of your life you're living, especially your character. Let's start with humility. And then he moves on and he talks about motives, the motives of a wise person. Verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, like in other words, if that's what's driving you, then do not boast about it or deny the truth. And so like when you step into leadership, what's driving that? Is it, is it envy? Is it selfish ambition to, to try to have a position or power or whatever? And he says, if that's the case, then don't brag about how wise you are and lie against the truth. Because one of the marks of a truly wise person is pure motives. They want to serve God. They want to serve people. They love God, love people, that sort of thing. And so verse 15, he says, such wisdom, this kind of wisdom that uh, is kind of self-ego motivated, uh, it does not come down from heaven, it's not from God, but it's earthly, in other words, it's from this world. It's unspiritual, in other words, not from the Holy Spirit, and it's actually of the what? Of the home. Who's to say of the home? The devil, okay? So it's actually demonic expired, uh, inspired. And he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And of course, we know this is true, right? Like any family that it's motivated, you have people in the family that are motivated by envy or selfish ambition, it's gonna destroy that family, isn't it? Any marriage that's motivated by selfish ambition or, or uh, ego is gonna be destroyed. Any business, church, ministry, wherever you have the motives are wrong, it's gonna bring disorder and every evil thing to that organization, whatever it is. 
And so then he goes on and he says, uh, let's talk about the wisdom that is from God. He's talked about the wisdom that isn't. Let's talk about the wisdom that is. The wisdom that comes from heaven, that's from God, it's first of all pure. And, and so now he's going to talk about the motives. It, it, it's not motivated by ego. It's not met, motivated by selfish ambition. There's a purity to it. And then he's going he's to walk through some character qualities. He says that wisdom, it's peace-loving. Now, I want to stop here for just a second and dwell on this one because this is a major theme of this passage. It's going to come up again in a few verses. That one of the marks of a truly wise person, according to James, is they value relationships. That they, they understand that two things in life, we're going to love God, we're going to love people, and they really value relationships. And so they, they work wherever they go to sow peace. They're really trying to build bridges, not walls. They're trying to draw people together and maintain unity. That's the mark of a truly wise person. So stop and think with me. Let's go back to our last series, which was on Galatians and, and on freedom. And you remember in chapter 5, when the Apostle Paul got to chapter 5, he talked about, let's talk about what does it look like to live, to follow the leading of the Spirit in our life. Let's talk about what it looks like to follow the leading of what he calls the flesh, the dark side of human nature. And, and so he says, let me, let me give you a couple lists. And so he gave us a couple long lists to help us identify when we're following the Spirit and when we're following the dark side. And when we're following the Spirit, he called that list uh, the fruit of the Spirit. You remember that? And so he says, when you're following the Holy Spirit, here's the kind of things that are going to be happening in your life. You're going to be experiencing love uh, for others, joy, a peace in your relationships, patience, and so on. When you're following the Spirit, that's where the Spirit leads you to those kinds of experiences. He says, now when you're following the works of the dark side, the flesh, he said, here's what you're going to experience. This is where the dark side will lead you. And he starts off with some of our usual suspects in these kind of New Testament lists. He starts off with sexual immorality. He talks about debauchery, kind of wild Parting. He talks about idolatry. He talks about witchcraft. But then very quickly, he moves into what we call the relational dark side. And he says, let me tell you what's going to happen when you're following the dark side. And he says, there's going to be things like hatred in your life. There's going to be things like jealousy in your life. There's going to be things like uh, 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 selfish ambition is going to be in your life, just like James said, selfish ambition. There's going to be things like dissension. There's going to be things like faction. That's what happens. He says, this is how normal human beings act. Normal human beings uh, uh, that are following the dark side that were naturally this magnetic pull towards dissension, towards conflict, towards not getting along. And so what James is saying today is, yeah, that's right. He says that true wisdom, it's peace-loving. This is the mark of a truly wise person. They're working to do peace. And we'll come back to that theme later in this passage. And then he goes on, they're considerate. So let's kind of talk through some of these character qualities. One of the marks of wise, they're considerate. In other words, they're sensitive to the needs of others. Uh, another way to put it, in the, in the Greek, the word has the connotation of gentleness. There's a gentleness about this wise person. Uh, next word, he says considerate. Uh, or, or next word, others, is submissive. And so, this, in other words, you don't have to have your own way. You don't have to always be right. You can learn from others. Uh, in the Greek, again, connotation of this word is reasonableness. There's a sweet reasonableness about them. Uh, next word's full of mercy. One of the marks of a truly wise person is that they, they care about people. They, value, they understand that people are the most important thing in life, and they truly care. Uh, they're a good Samaritan. They've got a big heart. You know, they, they, they care about people. And then the next thing, he says it's full of good fruit. Again, it's, it's not just words, it's action. It's living out a life of good fruit. We'll talk about that one more later. Next one, he says, uh, Mark of a wise person is they're impartial. 
Now, do you remember back in chapter 2, uh, this was a big one. Um, Jane, there was a problem in the church, and the problem in these churches was they were honoring the rich over the poor. And you remember that James said the mark of a true Christ follower is we're moving past our prejudices. We, we don't value people based on the externals of their life. We don't value them based on how much education, what side of the tracks, what kind of car they drive, how much money they make, their physical appearance. So we don't, that's not how we value people, that we just love everyone. We love people as we love ourselves, and, and that's the mark of a Christ follower. And so that's what he means by impartial. We don't have favorites. You know, we're not playing favoritism. And, and then his last character quality says it's sincere. Um, in other words, we're, we're real, we're genuine, we're honest, we're not two-faced, we're not putting on a front, we're not manipulating people for our causes. Okay? So there's some, those are some character qualities. This is what a wise, a truly wise person looks like. And then at 18, he said, he gives this little proverb, he says, peacemakers who sow in peace. And of course, he's talking about like sowing a field, like farming. He says, peacemakers who go through their life, and they're just sowing peace wherever they're building relationships. They're drawing people together. They're building people up. They're, they're not divisive people. When, when, when peacemakers who sow in peace, then they will reap in their life a harvest of righteousness. They'll, they'll experience the life that God has called them to live, the truly right life. Okay, so that's the passage. So, so basically what he wants us to understand is how do you know what true wisdom is? Well, it's more than intelligence. It's more than, than knowledge. It's more than being bright. It's more than having all the answers. It's been the right theology. It, it's about character. It's about things like uh, the kind of person you are. It's about your motives, and it's about the life that you live. Okay, so that's kind of big picture story of the passage. Now, here's what we want to do. And the time that we have today, I want to do just a couple things. Uh, number one, I want to come back and I want to just uh, highlight two important principles that flow out of this passage about real wisdom and, and what it looks like in our life. So we can recognize it, measure ourselves, and then at the end, we're going to have some fun. We're going to come back, we're going to do a wisdom test, all right? So you're going to get to test yourself. You're not going to have to share your answers, but you're going to get to test yourself and evaluate kind of how smart you are, you know, like how wise you are, right? So let's jump in. There in your notes, you have a section called Real Wisdom, Two Important Principles. So number one, the, the first one is one I've mentioned several times. Again, just want to highlight it, kind of uh, unpack it a little bit more, is that real wisdom, mark of real wisdom, real wisdom is more than intelligence, okay? So it's, uh, when we talk about something, that's why, we're talking about more than intelligence, we're talking about more than knowledge, we're talking about more than having all the right answers, we're talking about more than just being bright or quick, uh, or quick with solutions, a good thinker, that, that True wisdom is more than that. Real wisdom is more than that. Now, now catch this. I'm not saying that wisdom doesn't involve those things, all right? But what I'm saying, what James is saying is it's more than just being bright or knowing the answers or having information or perspective. What he says is that real wisdom, that it also takes in things like character. It takes in things like uh, motives. And so let's look again real quick at 3.13. He says, uh, uh, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the what? Okay, let's say it again. By deeds done in the what? Humility. Okay, so, so right away he goes to character. The mark of a truly wise person is how they see themselves and how they relate to others, like we talked about, self-focused, others-focused. And, and then he goes on in verse 14, he talks about our motives. Uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're driven by bitter envy or selfish ambition, don't, don't lie against the truth. And so, so what motivates you in your life? Why do you do what you do? And then in verse 17, this long list of Character qualities, being pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy. So he wants us to catch this, that, that 
to be a truly wise person is more than intellectual. It has to do with our character and our motives. Now, this is so important for us to catch because, because here at Rocky Peak, let me talk to us as a church for just a second, okay? Not, not just as an individual Christ. Well, let me talk about our, as a church. Here at Rocky Peak, we believe God has called us to unleash a movement, right? It's a movement of passionate Christ followers. But, but if we're going to unleash a movement, it's really important that we understand what the targets is. We, we have to understand what kind of a movement, what's the culture of our church? What, what kind of culture is the culture of Rocky Peak? What is the culture of, of a passionate Christ follower? And what James wants us to understand is as a church, the way that we measure our wisdom will de- determine who we become. Like if we're aiming for the wrong target, we will never become the right people. Does that, does that make sense? And so if we measure wisdom the wrong way in the way that our culture measures wisdom, then, then we will never truly become the wise people who are Christ followers who can extend that movement, right? So, so let me give you an example. This happens in Christian circles all the time. Let, let, let me give you a, a great example of this. Um, we started the day with the story of this church that was planted, started about 25 years after the resurrection as the movement of Jesus is now moving out into the Roman Empire. And, and it started in this seaport city, a very famous city of its time, a place where East met West, famous for at least a couple of things. One is wild immorality. Uh, it was a seaport, and so there's sailors, and so that pretty much explains that. And so, and then, and then on top of that, it's well known for its wisdom, its philosophers. And so, so the movement of Jesus comes in with this crazy message of a crucified Jew who's the God of the universe. I mean, it's just like, it just seems so outlandish. And, and yet God moves as he always does when the gospel is presented. And people come to Christ and they meet Jesus and their lives are changed and they're transformed. And God is moving powerfully. In fact, it's moving so powerfully that God tells, uh, uh, tells Paul, I want you to stay longer than normal. It's been 18 months. He spends 18 months there because God says, I have many people in this city and I'm going to protect you. And so this church gets started and God's on the move and, and God's releasing supernatural spiritual gifts like crazy. And it's just a beautiful thing. But now, now Paul has to leave. And, and so he goes over to do some other ministry, and now it's like two or three years later, he's across the Aegean over in, in Ephesus, and he gets this report in with his letter from the church of Corinth, and they're asking all these questions, like, well, what about marriage? What, you know, as, as a, should we get married anymore? I mean, that involves sex, and some people are saying that the body is bad, we should have sex, and, and so like, what about marriage? And so, well, what about food sacrificed to idols? Well, what about spiritual gifts, and which one's most important? And, and, and what about like communion, and how do you do that? And they just have all these questions, and so they, they have this long list of questions, but he says, great, I'll answer the questions. He says, he sits down with the message. He says, but, but how are things going? How's the church doing? And he begins to share this really sad story of this church that had been so unified, uh, fracturing. And, and what's happening is they're fracturing over their famous leaders. They're saying things like, I'm of John MacArthur. Uh, I'm, of, uh, I'm of Francis Chan. Uh, I'm of Mark Driscoll. Uh, I'm of John Piper. And so what's happening is, is they're, they're dividing over their favorite teachers. Now, here's a crazy thing. The teachers that they're dividing over were all amazingly gifted, godly teachers, just like all the guys I just mentioned are, 
right? And so, so they're not dividing over some like false doctrine. They're not dividing over some kind of major uh, sin in the church. They are dividing over their preference of teachers because, of course, all teachers have a different emphasis, right? And, and all teachers, even though they're teaching the true gospel, they're going to have different styles and different methodologies. And so, so what they're dividing over is, and so here's the thing, like they're dividing over, like one guy's, you know, one group is like, we're, we think Paul is the best theologian. This was one of their choices. Uh, one of them said, no, no, we're, we're with Peter, okay? We, we think, you know, Peter, he, he hung out with Jesus. I, someday he's gonna be the Pope. We're following Peter. Uh, he, he's our guy. Uh, some of the, there, there was a very famous leader in the early church named Apollos, very gifted, eloquent speaker. Paul, not so much. And so they're like, you know, Paul, he's just like, we're not so sure. He's not that good a speaker. But, but Apollos, he's amazing. Have you, have you been to his seminar? Have you gotten to his website? He's awesome. And, and so he's just like, I'm downloading all his messages. And it's like, this is the truth. Where have I been all my life? And so, so they're following Apollos. And then some are like, you guys are all wrong, man. We're just following Jesus. Uh, he's just like, you know, we got, have you been to his website? It's uh, amazing. So, uh, so what's going on is they're dividing over style issues. They're dividing over emphases, right? And, and so the, the irony of this is the reason they're doing it is because of their love of wisdom. That's the culture they came out of. And the reason they're doing it is because they so love the truth that they just want to nail down the truth and make sure we're on the side of the truth. And so we're smart and we're wise. And so we need to separate from these other people because they don't quite have it right. We need to separate so that we, so everyone knows we've got it right and that people want to be right, they can be with us. You see? So that's the motivation. And so they think of themselves as incredible wise and sophisticated believers and the apostle Paul says are you kidding me the very fact that you're dividing is the this pure evidence that you are not wise you are fools and, and you're not mature you're immature you're not like uh, spiritually being led by the spirit you're being led by the dark side uh, that, that you, you, you are like spiritual babies like you're in diapers okay so so in, a, in the there in your note sheet this is what he says uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual. In other words, I, I know that that's how you want me to address you. I know that's how you want me to see you, that you're very spiritually mature. But he says, I couldn't address you that way. Um, but I had to address you as worldly. Literally in the Greek, it's fleshly. Okay, it's uh, uh, on the dark side. That's the word. Um, and he said, in fact, you're mere infants in Christ. You're, you're just like baby, baby Christians. Like you think you're so wise, but you're, you're so smart. Now, now, here's the thing. This happens in the church of Jesus all the time, doesn't it? That, that we will divide over the secondary issues. Not, not to, like, like the New Testament is clear. There are certain things that as followers of Jesus were to divide from other people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Where there's certain things. Like for example, if anyone messes with the core gospel of Jesus, like, like uh, Paul says in Galatians 1, if anyone comes and, and they preach a different gospel other than the one, like how we're made right with God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if anyone wants to mess with that, he says, let them be eternally damned. Okay, it's like you do not mess with the gospel, okay? And, and so if someone comes into Rocky Peak and they're teaching another gospel, we will not tolerate it. We will ask them to leave. That is not okay. If someone rises up in a life group and they start teaching another gospel, that is not okay. We will not put up with that, okay? There's certain things you divide. Uh, uh, the New Testament says if anyone is living in high-handed, clear sin, 
there's several lists that are given to identify that. You know what that, the clear, clear, high-handed sin, and they refuse to turn from it, and they're living in that lifestyle. The New Testament says, yeah, you need to separate from it. You need to go and try to bring them back, but if they refuse, you, you need to separate. So there's certain things we separate on, right? Very few, right? But on most things, on secondary things, uh, we are not to separate. We are to love and accept one another. That's the sign of our maturity. Like the sign of a true mature believer is that we, we love and accept. So for example, in Romans 14, like in the early church, there were all kinds of things that they divided over. Like what day of the week should you worship on? Uh, should you uh, still kind of do some of the old Jewish sacrifices? Not that they are not sac- uh, ceremonies, they're feasts. Not, not that they save you, but is it good to still do them? Uh, 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 what else? A meat, sacrifice to idols, polluted or not? Is it okay to eat it? Do you get, you know, kind of the demon cooties or something? But, or is that okay to do that? And so they had strong opinion. And so in Romans 14, Paul weighs in. He says, you know, on these secondary issues, uh, there are some rights and wrong answers. But as Christ followers, what's more important is that we love one another and accept one another. Catch this, even when we're wrong. It's more important that we love and accept one another even when we're wrong on secondary issues, okay? And so, so here's this church, they're separating. Now, now, we can do this all the time, can't we? we? You see this happen in Christian circles all the time. There's some, some person discovers an amazing truth of God's word, you know, uh, about some teaching, and God just uses it to transform their life. And so now pretty soon, they're just teaching that one truth all the time. And, and if you don't teach that truth exactly that same way, or as often, or whatever, like all of a sudden, now you're suspect, you're not really one of us, and so we're going to divide from you. You see it happen in some churches. There's a move of God's Spirit, and, and certain people have an experience with the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues, which, great, awesome, right? But now pretty soon, they're, they're like, if you haven't had this experience that I've had, you're somehow second class, and so we'll divide o- over that. It happens in theology, doesn't it? It's like, uh, I'm a Reformed theology. Uh, I follow John Calvin, you know, and, and so, no, 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 I think that's really wrong, and, and if, any, if anyone doesn't, you know, follow that. That's not, I follow James Armin. We'll do it theologically. We'll do it. We'll do it in lifestyle issues. Uh, you see this with schooling of our kids. I've seen this over my life in ministry. I've seen people have their nose in the air over their style of educating their kids. Right? It's, it's like, like uh, if you're serious about following Jesus, you need to be homeschooling. Right? Like, and I'm not talking to any homeschoolers here, so I'm sure you're not like that. But. Uh, but if, you, if you're serious about, if you're serious about, you, you need to be homeschooling, right? And if you're not homeschooling, you're, you're like throwing your kids to the pagans, right? Would Jesus do that? Would, would Jesus have his kids raised by Satan? You know, so, uh, and so, and so they're like, whoa, no, this is the only way. And then, and then you talk to the public school people and they're like, I can't believe you're homeschooling. Are you just letting this culture go to hell? You don't even care about reaching people for Christ? You need to be sending your children in as salt and light. That's what Jesus called us to do. You know? And then you have the Christian school people. But they're like, are you kidding me? We gotta affect the culture at the highest level. We need to be raising the next leaders of Christian thinkers. And so that's the way, right? And, and I've seriously seen this happen. Where in churches, Christ followers will get an attitude over the way they are training their kids as their way is the best way and anyone who doesn't do it that is just a little bit down the pipe. You see it happen with politics, right? I think the mark of a healthy church is you should have people of different political persuasion in the same life group. But it's not the way it is. In some churches, if you're not Republican, you know, if you're not Democrat, 
oh, no, no, you're both wrong. You need to be green, right? <laughs> because we got to take care of the earth and we've done a horrible job, right? And so you see what I'm saying? We separate worship styles. We separate over this. It's like, well, if the hymns were good enough for Jesus, they're good enough for me. And then on the other side, you're like, are you kidding me? Those are like tradition. That's so old school. That's like religion. We're not called to religion. We're called to relationship. And you see what we do? We separate over secondary issues in the name of wisdom. And we think that we're wise. And all we are doing is proving how foolish we are, you see, and how immature we are. And so... So James is coming to us and saying, he's saying, he's teaching us that that it is more, that true wisdom is more than intelligence, it's more than knowledge, it's more than having the right take, that that it takes in things like character, and it takes in things like, like, uh, uh, like our motives, okay? Now, number two, the second principle then is that real wisdom, not only is it more than intelligence, it's, or, or, uh, or intellect, it's more than words, now, there's going to be a little bit of overlap because these two are very similar, but that I think it's helpful to spell it out. That, that James wants us to understand that real life is more than what we say. It's what we do. It's, it's more than words. It's our life. And so let's look back at uh, 3.13. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good what? Like, let's say it again. Let him show it by his good life. And then what's the next word? By what? By deeds done in the humility. He says, he says uh, that true wisdom is, is more than uh, words. It's more than what you uh, say you believe. It's more, it, it, it goes to your life, the quality of your life. Ha- have you ever noticed this, that it's easy to come across as knowing what you're talking about when you really don't? Have you ever noticed this? It's like the guy, you know, he goes in the bar, and it's like he's been married seven times. He's talking to the guy next to him about how to fix his marriage. Right? He's, like, he's like, hey, trust me, man, I know women. I've been married seven times. <laughs> like, here's what I've learned. Like, are, are you kidding me? But, but it happens in all kinds. of the, the people with the wildest kids are always telling you, like, how to raise your kids, you know. Uh, the people that, you know, it's like, oh, let me show you how to do business, and there's fail. You know, it's, it's like, like, this is how, it's like, it's easy to talk a good game, isn't it? Obviously, it's easy to talk a good game. What James is saying, that can happen in spiritual circles, too. It can happen. We can talk a good game. We, can talk, we, we know Jesus. We know the Bible. We know our theology. Awesome. He says, but, it's, it's, but true wisdom is more than words. It's, it's about the quality of your life. Okay? And he's like, well, what kinds of things? Well, the kind of things we've been talking about. The character piece. Uh, the humility. Uh, the, the gentleness. The reasonableness. Uh, the right motives. Uh, why we do what we do. Uh, the compassion for others, the sincerity uh, of our life, the genuine, these kind of things. It's, it's more than words. It's living a life. Now, there's a great phrase he uses in verse 17, and let's take a look at that. In verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, he's, he's kind of laying out the, you know, uh, the character qualities of his life in verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first, it's pure, it's peace-loving. These are some of the qualities. It's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy. But then the next phrase is, it has good fruit. Now, now, this is a powerful little phrase because Jesus taught us about this, didn't he? He said, beware of when men come to you, beware of false prophets, they will come to you and they'll look like sheep, but inwardly they'll be ravenous as wolves. And so he said, uh, beware. He says, this is how you know them. He said, you will know them by their 
by their fruit. Remember that? I know he says, hey, when you're evaluating someone, don't just look at their words, look at their life. And this is such an important lesson for us to learn as a church here at Rocky Peak, if we're going to unleash a movement, is that we need to evaluate our wisdom, not by our words, but by our life. And it's so easy to deceive ourselves, isn't it? So, so easy to deceive ourselves. And, and, I, and I'll tell you what happens when a church doesn't learn this lesson is it gets destroyed from the inside out. Because what happens is it puts the wrong people into leadership. Okay? So, so what happens is someone comes and, and they have great theology, they talk a good game, they know their Bible, they, kind of, they seem like a nice person. Uh, often they're extremely gifted. They might be a very gifted communicator. And so what happens is we're so taken in by their words, we never slow down to take a look at their life. But if we did slow down and took at their life, there would be warning flags all over it. You would see a person maybe who's narcissistic. It's all about them. You would see a person who is divisive. Wherever they go, it's always caused division. You might see a lack of integrity showing up. Uh, you might see a lack of compassion. You might see a person that's really driven by their ego. You might see a person that always has to be right, can never learn from someone else. You see what I'm talking about? And so if we were to look at these things, we would see like, boy, red warning lights all over the dashboard of our life that, hey, this should, person should not be in leadership. But, but we often miss this because we, we look at it in a worldly way that we're looking at their words, Right? We're looking at their words, and so the words look good. And so, so what happens, People put, you know, people, uh, churches hire people on their staff. Sometimes it can be the lead pastors of the church. Uh, it can be uh, elders. It can be life group leaders. And, and so we'll put them into leadership, but there's all these character issues. And so now what have we done? We have made the fools of the church the leaders of the church. Right, and, and we think that we're being wise, and what we're doing is we're killing ourselves because we've now, we've established the wrong measuring stick for true wisdom. And you see this happen, right? You see this happen in Christian circles. Someone will be in a high leadership role, and then there's all of a sudden something comes out. You know, they're, they're stealing money, or they're having an affair, or whatever. and what, what often comes out is behind the scenes, everyone saw these character issues. Everyone saw this controlling, domineering person. Everyone saw this narcissist. Everyone saw this ego-driven person. Everyone saw uh, a lack of integrity. And it was all there. Everyone saw it, but everyone just ignored it because they, didn't me they weren't measuring wisdom the right way. We were using the wrong measuring stick. Does that make sense? And so what happens, all of a sudden it happens. We go, whoa, I never saw that coming. And it's like, well, we should have. We should have seen it coming because we have to, like, because true wisdom, real wisdom, it's more than words. It's more than giftedness. It's about life. And it's about character. It's about motives, okay? So those are the two things James Lang wants us to catch. That real wisdom, it's more than intelligence. It's about character. It's about motives. And it's more than words. It's about are you living that? Are they characteristic of your life, right? Now, Let's go on to the, the wisdom test, okay? So let's talk about this. Let's talk about then how, how, how wise are you? I want you to do some self-evaluation. Now, I want to tell you from right the, up front, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, okay? That I'm just, I'll just come here. That I have no desire to make you feel bad. Uh, that some of you may feel bad by the time we're done. Um, but, but it's not my intent to make you feel bad. Uh, my intent is, is just to help you grow. And, and the first step of growth is being honest, radically honest about who we are. And so you may be a person, you've thought of yourself as really wise. 
And, and as we go through this list, you may discover that, you know, I'm not so wise as I thought. And, and so what I want you to, to remind you is that God loves you incredibly because of the cross of Jesus. Like however this comes out, however this test comes, doesn't change his love for you. Um, but he does want to discipline us and, and grow us up, doesn't it? Like I always say like that, Jesus loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so, and so we're gonna do a little test, and, and so I'm gonna have you rate yourself, and you're not gonna have to show it to anyone, so you can be honest, okay? I would suggest you might wanna cover your answer <laughs> so that the person next to you doesn't like start laughing, or are you kidding me, or you know, um, or, or whatever. So, uh, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask three questions. You'll notice at the beginning of each question is a little space for you to mark, give a number. So uh, we're gonna go scale one to five, five being the best, excellent, you're doing really well. Uh, Four is, yeah, I'm doing pretty well here. I really sense God going, I'm growing, I'm really, he's changing me, I I just wanna continue that. And number three is, you know, kind of mediocre, like half and half. It's uh, D, uh, uh, a number, the fourth one would be more like, uh, a two two would be more like, uh, yeah, you know, uh, this is definitely, uh, I need to improve, this is causing me problems in my life. And number one would be like, you're a poster child for failure. (laughs) So, And you need to repent publicly in front of all of us immediately at the end of the service. All right, so here we go. Number one. Now, I'm going to give you the question. I'm going to walk you through. So don't fill it in right. Some of you filled it in already. I know. It's like, oh, I'm fives. I'm fives all the way. I, I don't know what the questions are, but whatever they are, I'm a five. Straight up. Fifteen. What's a 15 get you? Uh, just let me remind you, humility is part of this whole thing. Uh, accurate self-view. So, but so, so let me, I'm going to give you a question, walk you through it, and then at the end, score it all, right? Just jump to, uh. Number one, how's your character? Uh, we've seen that the mark of a truly wise person is they're developing the character of Jesus, okay? And so, so we went through, so let me, let me walk you through just some questions about the character. We saw, first of all, humility. So, so for example, would those who know you best say you tend to be focused on yourself and self-absorbed or focused on others? That'd be a good question to ask. Uh, servant, you have a servant attitude, like one, one of the marks of a humble person, servant attitude. Uh, in verse 17, he kind of gives us a bunch of things to run through, uh, uh, pure motives, uh, I think this would be good to ask this question in terms of your business, uh, your school career, or something like that. If you don't, then apply it somewhere else. But if you're, if you're in the marketplace, like with those who know you best in the workplace, would they see, see you as a person who's driven by selfish ambition? Or would they see you as a person who's really driven to serve other employees, your bosses, your you know, people who work for you, or whatever? Um, uh, another one he mentions is, is uh, peace-loving. We'll come back to that next in the next question. Uh, considerate. Are you a person that you're sensitive to the needs of others? Are you submissive? Are you a person that you're really able to learn from others? You don't always have to have your own way. Uh, you don't have to always be right. There's a reasonableness about you. You're open to reason. Uh, here would be one, uh, full of mercy. Uh, how would you be in the compassion area? Is that, are you growing your compassion for others? Impartial. Are you a person that's really defined by your prejudices? Are you really le- learning to leave those prejudices behind and value people regardless of socioeconomic status and things like that, appearance? Uh, and then another one would be sincere. Are you a genuine person or are you kind of two-faced? Are you, are, you, are you being a hypocrite? Are you real? Are you genuine? Okay, so those would be some character questions just to help you score yourself. Okay, so go ahead and write down a score. Uh, uh, somewhere between five and one, five, five, one, five being the top, one being uh, the bottom. Okay, number two. Second question is, how are your relationships? <laughs> I'm not sure what that's about. So, someone just looked at their neighbor's score. 
<laughs> Whoa. No, we need counseling. No. Um, yeah, how are your relationships? Uh, and, and really what I'm focusing in here is this. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? Um, like, like as you go through your life, uh, do you sow seeds of peace? Are you a bridge builder or are you tend to be more divisive? Uh, let's, let's, let's dig down a little bit more. So, so in other words, like, like we talked about these issues that we divide over. Uh, like would you be a person who is quick to divide and quick to look down your nose at people who don't see it the same way you do on an issue? Would you be more divided? Would you be, would you be uh, or would you be more of a peacemaker? You're quick to overlook and to build bridges and to acceptance. Um, so for example, uh, would you be quick to criticize someone who's on the different side of some of these issues we've talked about? Uh, worship styles, uh, volume of worship, uh, style or ed- ways you educate your kids, um, kind of philosophy of ministry. You know, like a different church is a, it's a seeker church. I can't believe seeker churches. They're so shallow. Or what's a disciple church? I don't care about, you know, reaching the lost. Or, you know, it's a home church. That's real church. You know, whatever. Uh, uh, all these different kinds of political issues and so on. Are you a person that builds bridges or are you a person that is quick to divide? Okay, so that's, that's number, uh, number two. Rate yourself there. Five being good. One being needs improvement like a lot of improvement. Number three, uh, number three, the third question is, how's your life? How's your life? And so the question is, we saw that James said, wisdom is more than words, it's the quality of your life. And so the question is, are you living out what you're learning? Okay? That, that'd be a good question. Are you living what you're learning? Like as you come to church, life groups, time alone with God, reading, whatever. Are you living what you're, you're learning? You know, one of the things that James has taught us throughout this book is it's easy to deceive ourselves in this area of like wisdom. It's easy to think we're following Jesus when we really aren't. Remember back in chapter one, he said, uh, uh, don't just listen to the word, but, but, uh, but do it. He said, don't deceive yourselves. It's easy to deceive ourselves to think that we're we're following, we're really not. Well, it's also easy to think of ourselves as wise when we're really not. And the way it happens is we know all the right answers or we're learning intellectually, but we're not really living that, those things out in our life by the kinds of character qualities. So, so that would be a third question. Are you living what you're learning? How's your life? All right, now here's what I'm gonna do. Um, I want us to have some time with God to process this. I don't want us just to throw it out there, quick, great, boom, you know, we're done. Uh, I, I really, I think it's, it's kind of a holy moment, a chance for us to come before God, to pray, to reflect. Uh, for some of us, it's a time of repentance. In fact, I'm going to ask the, the band to come out now. And this is really a time of repentance, and repentance is a good thing, right? Like repentance, as for us as Christ followers, should be a regular part of our life. That in other words, every day we're growing, we're realizing areas we need to grow, and we come back and we ask God to forgive us and, and to change us, and that's kind of that moment. And so for some of you here today, this may be a very disconcerting list of questions. You may have come in thinking of yourself as pretty wise, and you're kind of going out feeling not so good about that. I just want to remind you of Christ's love for you, speak his love for you, that he, he knew this about you before you came in, and, and he loves you, you know, anyway. And so... Uh, this is a time for us to come before God, just to process, to pray, uh, for some of us to repent, to receive that forgiveness, to make some new decisions. And so what we're going to be doing, let me exp- what's going to happen, is that often, you know, we'll, we'll end with a, a song of worship, then I'll come up, pray us out, into pray us into uh, offering, 
uh, and then a final song, but I don't want to break up this time. So we're just going to be spending uh, the next few minutes, we're going to in a couple songs, worshiping, prayer, reflecting together, just a time with God. It's been a very special time, the other services. Uh, at the end of the first song, the ushers are just going to come forward, receive connect cards, receive uh, your offerings, and so on, so you're ready for that, but we're not going to come up and kind of announce that. We're just going fl- uh, kind of, uh, kind to of let it flow in with everything else, all right? So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us that God would meet us during this time, and I just want to encourage you to really use this time as we, we sing about Christ being our everything, just to bring everything in your life before him and, and to just evaluate yourself Uh, in these areas we've talked about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ that makes all things new. And we thank you for the cross because because of that we can come and be radically honest. We have nothing to fear. We know there's no condemnation, that you love us incredibly. And yet you so much want us to grow and, and you call us out and there's times you discipline us out of your love and you say this is the wrong way and you need to change. And and so we just want to come and have that moment with you for you to speak by your spirit into our life, whether it's a word of encouragement, it's a word of uh, rebuke, wh- whatever we need to hear, we ask you to come. We worship you. We pray that we would be that church that is truly wise. We pray this in your name. Amen. Lord, that's our prayer that you would have your way. We just want to be wise people. God, who are truly like you, the ultimate wisdom of God. And we confess today that, Lord, many times we have not been wise, that we have professed ourselves to be wise, but the reality is that we have been fools. We professed ourselves as spiritual, and we have been following the dark side. That while professing ourselves to be wise, we have been instigating division, that we have times have been critical of other believers who don't see it the way we do that we have sometimes been proud and looked down our nose. And we just want to confess that as a church, God. And we ask you to forgive us. We ask that you'd radically move into our lives and you'd be our mentor as our Holy Spirit as we learn these things. And you'd point it out to us when we're doing that, when we're following the flesh and not the spirit. Because, God, we don't want to be that way. We want to be like you. We want to be truly wise to see things in their proper proportion, that if a man or a woman is a follower of Jesus and they've been received by you, that we want to accept them as you've accepted them, even if we're in differences on secondary things. And so, God, we pray that you would create a culture here at Rocky Peak that is just full of love and acceptance, not over the things that we can't compromise on, that those that we will not have any tolerance, but on those things that are secondary that we would truly love one another, that we would accept one another even when we think we're wrong, and that we would be build, uh, bridge builders, not those who tear down. And so God, we pray today, we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. We, we pray that you would remind us of that deep love that, that flows from you and that it's really the reason why you discipline us and why you call us to repentance so we can truly be set free from these old ways that tie us down and hinder us from living the life of wisdom you've called us to. So we pray you transform us and lead us to the church. We pray in our life groups. We pray that they be hotbeds of love. They, They would be circles of acceptance. That we may not agree on everything, but what we have in common is way more important than any differences we have. And in the meantime, as we grow, we'll learn from one another and we'll be submissive to one another. We'll be considerate of one another and we'll be peacemakers 
that our hearts will be pure, that we'll be sincere, and we'll be people who sow in peace, and then in our groups, we will reap a harvest of righteousness. Help us to be places where we accept one another of different theological points of view, of different takes, of different lifestyle points of view, of different, um, just different perspectives on life, different political parties, that we would be a church that's truly wise, a church that understands that the truly wise person is a person who loves God passionately and loves others compassionately. And so we pray that you'd pour that spirit of wisdom over our church and we would grow and we'd be a place where people of all backgrounds and different stripes could come and they would find a church that's ready to love on them and accept them and not wait till they have it all together before we pour out our love upon them because that's what you've poured out on us. You didn't wait till we had it all together and you've told us to accept one another as you have accepted us. We pray that that will be our motto and that would be our culture, that we'd be a culture of true wisdom. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Isn't that good, just being with the Lord and just, uh, just enjoying that moment? It's just so good to do. Uh, a couple things as we go. Uh, next week, for, first, I'm very excited about the passage next week. Uh, haven't really been excited about these other ones, but you know, this one <laughs> is, is really good. And seriously, in all the Bible is one of the best passages on repentance, on, on how to get right with God when we've been wrong. And it's just a powerful. Uh, James is going to say, you know, to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And so, and so let your hearts be broken and, and wash yourself, make yourself clean. It's just a beautiful passage on, on how to be made right with God when we're wrong. So uh, I hope you can be here for that while we continue this journey through James. Until then, uh, may the Lord be with you. And may the spirit of wisdom, uh, the spirit of power, uh, the spirit of sound judgment be upon you as you uh, live out this life as a Christ follower. Have a great weekend, great Memorial Day celebrations. I'll see you next week. God bless. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>